Well, tonight we are beginning a new study on the fruit of the Spirit. And I thank those of you who are watching online. Thank you for tuning in and being part of our study tonight, wherever you're watching from. And especially for these who have come out in the cold tonight and you're coming to be a part of this study. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, what we are really talking about are the nine character traits that are produced by the work of the Spirit working in our lives or living in our lives. The character traits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I really like one translation that I found. They did not refer to it as the fruit of the Spirit, but rather they translated the word fruit as harvest. I had not heard that before, but I found it interesting. Kind of give you a little different perspective. The harvest of the Spirit. That is, it's a beautiful word picture that portrays those things that come out of our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit living within us. So tonight, whether you want to call it the fruit of the Spirit or the harvest of the Spirit, what we're going to be doing tonight is we're beginning a study that will probably take us about 10 weeks or so as we learn about and hopefully grow in our relationship with God and His work in us through the Holy Spirit. Now, tonight we're going to be studying in the book of Galatians, if you have your Bibles. Galatians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn to Galatians 5, and, and we'll be all over the book of Galatians. But uh, our central text is going to be Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 22. So we'll be looking, really, for 10 weeks, hard to believe, but 10 weeks at verses 22 and 23. Now... <clears throat> Let me just get, illustrate something for you. The tendency, regardless of what passage that we are studying, the tendency many times is to jump into a study and say, you know what, I wonder what these verses mean. And the tendency, whether it's Galatians 5, 22 and 23 or whatever, but the tendency, of course, is, is we, we focus on a passage, maybe two verses, as in this case, and, and trying to understand what this, these two verses mean. But watch this. What we sometimes forget is that those two verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that those two verses are actually part of a chapter. And what we often forget is that chapter... Is part of a book. In this case, of course, the book of Galatians. And what we often forget is that book is really the result of some type of a situation, some type of a situation or question that is being addressed in the book. So my point is simply this, the more you know about the context the better you will understand the text. Does that make sense? Because the Apostle Paul, when he wrote chapters 5, verses 22 and 23, he didn't just write those verses in isolation. So this is kind of a, a rehearsal or, or a refresher of what we talked about Sunday night. He didn't just write these verses in isolation. They were part of a chapter. Of course, he didn't write in chapters, but in our mind, they're part of a chapter. And that chapter is part of a book, and that book was in response to a situation. So, if we understand this better, then we can understand this better. So 
So that's going to be our goal. Now, let me remind you, if you'll look here on my screen now, let me, let me remind you of these numbers that we talked about Sunday night. If you were not here Sunday night, these numbers don't mean a whole lot to you, but hopefully somebody's going to help us with this. What do these numbers represent? Anybody? Can anybody help us? What do these numbers represent? The New Testament. The four divisions of the New Testament. And so I need you to help me walk through these numbers. What's the first number four? What does it represent? Right, the four Gospels. Then the one represents the book of history, book of Acts. 21 represents the letters. And they're broken out into two sections, aren't they? The Pauline letters and the general letters. How many Pauline letters are there? 13 and 8 general letters. And then the last one represents prophecy, uh, revelation, etc. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to focus on this 21 for just a moment. And I want, you, I want to call something to your mind or to your attention here. I'm trying to get, I don't know if that's going to show up. Let me do it this way. Look up here for a moment. Galatians is part of this number here. Galatians is part of the, the letters. Of course, one of the Pauline letters. Galatians uh, occurred, or, or the church that he was ministering to, the churches of Galatia, all of that occurred during this time, during this book of history. In fact, most of these letters were written during this time, during the book of Acts. So I'm just trying to help you understand more of the context so that we can get to the text. Paul founded the churches of Galatia here. And he wrote the letter to those churches here. In our Bible, they appear here, but all of that occurred during this history book we call Acts. So, put your finger there in Galatians. Let me show you something real quickly. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And it says in verse 1, at, what's that place that Paul has mentioned here? He's at what what place? Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the synagogue. Now, we don't have time to dig into all of this, but if you look on a map, you'll find that Iconium was one of the cities of, of the area of Galatia. Okay? Now skip down just for a second time. I'm just trying to give you context. There was a plot of foot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. Those are also cities in the region of Galatia. So Paul later writes a letter to these churches that are in these three cities. In Iconium, in Lystra, and Derbe. And we call that letter that he wrote Galatians. In fact, if you go now to the book of Galatians, let me show you this. Go to chapter 1, the book of Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. He's talking about the churches in those three cities that we just read about in the book of Acts. Now, why did Paul write this letter to these churches? Everybody look up here for a moment. Remember I told you there's a situation. 
There's the situation that leads to the writing of the book, that leads to the writing of the chapter, that leads to, to the text that we've got. So what was the situation that led to the writing of the book? Well, let me explain it to you this way. Paul wrote this letter to these churches because many Jewish Christians were claiming that non-Jewish Christians couldn't be saved unless they followed the Jewish laws and customs. Now let me say that again. Listen carefully. Here's the situation. The Jewish Christians in the, this area of Galatia, they were claiming that you could not become a Christian if you were not a Jew unless you followed the Jewish laws and customs. So, Paul writes this letter. Watch this. Not long after he gets back from this mission trip. You see, Paul went to these churches on the very first mission trip. Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul went to the churches of Galatia on the very first mission trip. And when he comes back, he, he, he barely made it home before he got word of what was happening here in Galatia. So in response to what he heard that was happening in the churches of Galatia after he left them, Paul then writes this letter that we call Galatians. The, the recipients of, of the letter were in danger of being led away. If, you have, if you're taking notes, write this down. The recipients of the letter were in danger of being led away from the gospel of grace. Paul was greatly disturbed by these false teachers that were trying to mislead this, these young churches. Let, let me show you this word up here. Look on the screen. Uh, I forgot to, to... Here we go. Judaizers. The Judaizers were the people... This was the situation Paul was dealing with in the churches of Galatia. The Judaizers were the ones who were insisting, if you want to be a Christian, that's fine, but you've got to follow the Jewish laws and customs. You've got to follow all that Moses taught. Now here's the problem. Paul was teaching the concept of grace. Everybody look up here, I want to show you something. Grace and the law don't go together very well. And so Paul came into the churches of the region of Galatia and he's starting these young churches and he's telling these new believers all about grace. The problem is the people he was speaking to were primarily Jews. They had grown up their entire lives following the law. And in their mind, earning God's favor by following the law. So in their minds, yes, grace is wonderful, but you still have to kind of earn it. That was what they were thinking. Grace is a wonderful thing, but you still have to kind of earn it. You don't, here's what they were saying about Paul after he left. Paul's about to mislead you. You never turn your back on the law of God. You never turn your back on the law of Moses. Paul is about to mislead you. Don't you turn your back on the law of Moses. He's talking about grace, and he's wanting to do away with the law of Moses. I thought about it today. I thought, my land, if he had been alive during Twitter, they would have crucified him. They really would have. So here's, here's the problem. After Paul left, the Judaizers, the, Jew, the Jewish Christians living in the churches or in the area of Galatia, they, they kept accusing Paul of trying to do away with the law. And they were minimizing, watch this, they were minimizing God's grace. Now, 
That's a lot of information, but I want you to read with me now in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. For we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be <coughs> eternally condemned. I would say Paul was pretty upset, wouldn't you? If he's saying, listen, if anybody comes preaching something besides grace, let them be eternally condemned. I would say he was pretty upset. And rightly so. You see, the Judaizers were teaching that a person is justified by God uh, through faith and by keeping the law. And so let's go to chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and see what Paul says. Look what he calls them in verse 1. What does Paul call them in verse 1? Chapter 3, verse 1. What does he call these people? Foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians! Exclamation mark. Who has bewitched you? But your very eyes, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Good question. Paul said, let me ask you something. How did you get saved? Just how did you get saved? Was it by observing the law or was it by believing what you heard? And then he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? That is, human effort referring to keeping the law. Verse 4, have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? Now Keith, how does all this apply to the fruit of the Spirit? Hang on, he's making a case here. Look up here. He's making a case. He didn't just write about the fruit of the Spirit in isolation. He's making a case. He's addressing a situation. So hang on. You see, I would say to you that throughout history, people have always tried to nail a sign on the cross that says, necessary but not enough. Necessary but not enough. Now, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that's what some people try to hang on the cross. There's something about our fallen nature that rebels against the idea that, that we're incapable of earning our salvation. There's something about our fallen nature that wants to earn our salvation. We want to think that we can contribute something to the salvation process. But the Bible says we are either saved by faith or we're not saved at all. The Judaizers would argue that the freedom from the law is wrong because, watch this, think through this. And I was thinking about this 
yesterday or today, it's like, you know what? If, if I had been a Jewish Christian in that time, if I had been a Judaizer, I might have been a, right in the front of the line. And here's the reason. The Judaizers argued, listen, if you take away the law, and in their mind, that's what Paul was doing. That's not what Paul was doing. But in their mind, that's what Paul was doing. So if you're a Judaizer and you believe Paul is taking away the law, you know where you fear that's going to lead? You fear that will lead to, to a freedom to live in sin. I mean, in their mind, as a Judaizer, in their mind, the way that you regulate the sin nature is by the law. Observing the law. The way that you honor God is by living according to the law. And Paul, in their mind, in the eyes of the Judaizers, Paul was saying, it's by grace. Now, he wasn't doing away with the law, but they felt like he was when he talked about grace. So, we come to chapters 5 and 6. We're getting closer to our text. In Galatians chapter 5 and 6, Paul is answering this charge that living by grace encourages disobedience. That living by grace encourages people to live in sin. Paul is going to address that in chapters 5 and 6. So he says in chapter 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is referring to the burden of having to always keep the law. Then he says in verse 2, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be just you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from what? He said, listen, if, if those of you who, who have gotten confused again, and you think that you can be justified by law, you need to understand something. You're, you've fallen away from grace. And then he says in verse 13, for sake of time, skip down to verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You see, that was the fear of the Judaizers. If you talk about grace, if you don't emphasize law, it's going to justify living in sin. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to remember that there is a Holy Spirit living in you. And we're getting real close to the text. Follow carefully what he says. Verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Serve one another in love. Now skip down to verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 16 introduces one of the most important truths in the Christian life. Paul is saying in this verse that really we have two natures. We have a sinful nature and we have the spirit nature because the spirit of God lives within us. And the desires of the spirit are at war against the desires of our flesh. And that's why we struggle with obeying God. 
That's why we struggle with falling into sin. The flesh and the spirit have different appetites. They struggle. So Paul says, look at verse 16. So I say, live by the spirit. Live by the spirit. And you'll not, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. But if, watch this, verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Look at this phrase up here. If you are led by the spirit. See, the Judaizers were so concerned about being led by the law. The Judaizers felt like that's the way to be right with God, is to be led by the law. And Paul says, for a Christian, you're no longer led by the law. You are led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God who lives within you. Therefore, if you are led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry that that this thing called grace is going to lead you into more sin. No, this thing called grace is not going to lead you into a freedom to sin because you are led by the Spirit. And then Paul outlines what happens to those who are not led by the Spirit. If you're not led by the Spirit, then you are led by the flesh. Verses 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is outlining what happens when you're not led by the Spirit. When you're not led by the Spirit, then you're led by the flesh. And he outlines what life is like living by the flesh. And then, look up here. We finally come to these verses. We finally come to these verses. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In contrast to being led by the flesh. In contrast to that. Paul talks about being led by by the Spirit, and he outlines what happens when you follow the Holy Spirit and His desires. Paul says in verse 22, but, in contrast, that word but is a contrast to the to acts of the sinful nature that he listed in verses 19 and following. But, in contrast to the acts of the sinful nature, there is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's that last one? It's what the Judaizers were so worried about. Paul says if you're led by the Spirit, you will have self-control. And so for the last few minutes here, I want to talk to you quickly about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. To make sure that there's no misunderstanding, the Spirit is referred to in three different ways in the Bible. First of all, it's, it's referred to as the gift of the Spirit. When you see, especially in the book of Acts, it talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's talking about salvation. Anytime 
someone is saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them. That's called the gift of the Spirit. And in fact, that's how Peter uh, in the book of Acts and later Paul in the book of Acts, when they were taking the gospel to the Gentiles, the way that they knew that the Gentiles were indeed saved was because Peter or Paul would say, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we did. Their Gentiles were Jews, but they received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we did. Therefore, they should be baptized. So the gift of the Holy Spirit talks about salvation. And then the gifts, plural, the gifts of the Spirit talks about service. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The 1 Peter 4 talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we've done a study of that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit lives within you and enables you to do something for the kingdom. You have one or more spiritual gifts is what we call them oftentimes. One or more spiritual gifts to serve God. That's the gifts of the Spirit. One or more spiritual gifts. And the key word there is service. But then we also come to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit deals with character. A Christ-like character. Because Christ is living within me through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have this Christ-like character. Now, let, let me give you two words um, that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. The word resist or the word respond. Resist or respond. The reason that these two words are important is because as we look at the nine character traits of being having the fruit of the Spirit, uh, as we look at those nine fruits in the next few weeks... In every one of those, we're all faced, myself included, you included, we're all faced with this dilemma. Whether to resist the Spirit or to respond to the Spirit. We can resist the Holy Spirit's work and the result will be we're walking in the flesh. We're responding in the flesh. Trying to find fulfillment and perhaps trying to to produce our own fruit, but we're walking in the flesh. You see, you've only got those two options. You can resist the Spirit and walk in the flesh, or you can respond to the Spirit and walk in victory and walk in the Spirit. When you respond to the Spirit's leading, that's when you experience the life of Christ in you. And each one of us has to decide how we're going to live. Look up here and think about this. You have to decide, do do I just want to be angry my whole life? Or am I going to let the Holy Spirit of God change that part of me? Do I just want to be a resentful person my whole life? Or will I respond to the Spirit of God? And let the Spirit of God bring about forgiveness in my spirit. Do I just want to be a bitter person my whole life? Do I want to be a lustful person my whole life? You just go down that list of the sinful nature. And you have to decide, will I resist what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life? Because if the Holy Spirit is living in me, He does not want me to walk in the deeds of the flesh. He wants me to live in the joys of the Spirit. And so it's resist or respond. Now most of us would say, well, I want the fruit of the Spirit. 
Probably all of us would say that. But the question is, the question is, are you willing to do what it takes to experience it? Which brings us to these final two things that I'll do real quickly. First of all, final two points, here, here they are. Christ-like living can only be reproduced by the Holy Spirit. Notice that, and we'll talk more about this next week, but it's, this is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about this next week, but what, what kind of fruit, this is, this is so simple, but it's important. What kind of fruit does an apple tree produce? Why does an apple tree produce apple fruit? That's the nature of the tree, is it not? If the Holy Spirit of God is living in you, that's simply Jesus living in you through the Holy Spirit. So, Christ-like living will only be reproduced, notice I didn't say produced, but reproduced by the Holy Spirit. Christ-like living is only reproduced by the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, Let me say it this way. Our best efforts will not make us like Jesus. Our best efforts will not make us like Jesus. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way. It goes back to these two words again. uh, Resist or respond. Only when we respond to the Holy Spirit do we get to live like Jesus. Christ-like living can only be reproduced by the Holy Spirit. And the second point is this. The fruit of the Spirit is personal and practical. It's personal and practical. We'll dig into this next week, but let me just give you a couple of little, little things before we leave. First of all, it's personal. The fruit of the Spirit is something that's very personal because what we're really talking about is God changing you. God changing your perspective, God changing your attitude, God changing your, your priorities, God changing the way you respond to people, God changing what you're living for. It's God changing your character. It's God changing you. So the fruit of the Spirit is not theoretical. The, through, the fruit of the Spirit is very, very practical because it's about Jesus living in you and having control and changing you. The fruit of the Spirit is personal and it's very, very practical. Joy, peace, gentleness, faith, self-control, all of those things are very practical. Very practical. Because tomorrow, maybe even tonight, those things will be tested. Right? On the way home, (laughs) those things might be tested. When you're behind the wheel driving home tonight. Those things might be tested. I want to close by asking you this question. Then next week, here's what, this has been kind of an introduction. Next week we're really going to dig into what the fruit of the Spirit are. And, and look at each of them. Here's the question. Listen carefully to how I ask the question. The question I want you to consider. I don't want you to answer it out loud question I want you to consider is are you living like Jesus I'm not, try, I'm not asking is are you trying your best to be like him because man I, I, we, we're all going to mess up on that one we're all going to fall short of that one 
Are you living like Jesus? Is there an area of your life where you are walking in the flesh? Or are you living like Jesus? If you're walking in the flesh, the only way to overcome that is by the power of the Holy Spirit yielding to Him. It goes back to those two words again, doesn't it? It goes back to these, these strong words right here. Resist or respond. Pray. Father, I pray that in the coming weeks that You'll help us all just to decide to respond to the Holy Spirit. To respond to Jesus living in me through His Holy Spirit. And if there are areas of our lives where we're, we are really struggling. There are areas of our lives where the flesh has taken over. We know we're walking in the flesh. We know we are resisting the Holy Spirit who lives within us. May you bring that to our minds. May you bring that to a place of conviction. And may it bring us to a place of confession. And may we walk with your Holy Spirit uh, in such a way that it will be Jesus living his life in us and through us. And we ask that for his name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.